just uh, cannot recommend enough coming to come and worship tonight in Haven. It's going to be just a great time to be there. If you've never been to the Haven site, it is, oh, it, it's just like this little nucleus that's just growing and, and God, is, God is working there. It's an exciting, exciting site. So come and join us tonight. Come and be there. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, as uh, Eilis and Luke said, my name is Johnny. I'll lead the team here. What a privilege I have to, to lead the team uh, in, in Bognor. And uh, I uh, don't know about you, but uh, I'm really enjoying our Exodus series. It's just, just so good to get into the story, get into the, um, what, what God's doing there. And uh, today we're at the, the, one of the famous bits of Exodus. We're in the Ten Commandments Oh, juicy. Um, and so uh, I just want to ask a question before we start. Um, how often do you think you break the law? How often do you think that you, you break the law? Not the question you thought I was going to ask. I'm just going to move this more centrally. Um, uh, I reckon you probably break it more than you realize. Uh, not just because we speed, but, um, but for other reasons. There are some very odd laws uh, in our society in the UK that you just probably didn't even realise were there. So here's a few for you. Um, it is illegal to carry planks of wood along a pavement. According to the, uh, the Police Act, a plank of wood must not be carried along a pavement. It can be moved from a vehicle, um, but it is not to be carried along a pavement. Very odd law. Um, it's quite outdated now. This was in like the 1800s. Um, but it's still in place, so you can still get, you can still get a fine or something for it. Uh, it's illegal to shake your rug on the street. So, uh, the, again, the Police Act in 1839 says that it was illegal for anybody to beat or shake their carpets uh, or rugs or mats outside. You, you weren't allowed to do that. Uh, but they did have an exception, except for doormats. You can do a doormat. Um, and just another one, just for humorous purposes. Uh, you can't walk cows down the street in daylight in, in England. According to the Streets Act in 1867, it's illegal to drive cattle, any, uh, any cattle of any kind, through the streets during the specific hours of 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Unless um, you have been given permission by the police commissioner. So there you go. There you go. Uh, so as I said before, this week we, are, uh, we will be seeing uh, some of the laws that God has given to his people. And um, next week as well, we're going to be looking a little bit more at the law. But today we're focusing specifically on the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to go through each of the, the commandments. I want to look at them as a whole in the context of what we're doing. But before we do, I've got a question. Um, what, how do you view the Ten Commandments. Like, what comes into your mind when you think about the Ten Commandments? You might think, uh, you might be somebody who says, oh, I don't actually know them. I, I don't know what they are. I don't know what their purposes are. I don't know what even it says. Well, hopefully today as we read, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll hear a little bit. And it'll, it might even raise questions for you, and that's totally fine. Um, we, wanna, we can chat those through as well. Uh, you might think that they are like these regulations this is like the regulation of a Christian, and they've got to keep these, because if they don't keep these, they're not a Christian. It might be that in your mind. You might think 
um, that the Old Testament law is something that we've been saved from. So if you've been a Christian for a while, that message of uh, the law and of the commands is that, oh, you've been saved from them. So they're, they're totally obsolete now. So it might be that that you're thinking of. It might be that you think of them as a moral roadmap. That this is how you can navigate through life. Um, this will get you to perfection. This will get you to holiness. This will get you to wherever you need to go. They're just a good way to live. It might be that you think they're outdated. You might think that they are irrelevant or even immoral. Um, so that's, that's often how we can think in our society. But that's not, that's not how the Israelites viewed it. If you hear Deuteronomy uh, verse four, uh, chapter 4, uh, 5 to, to 8, if we can get there. Is it going to click? It's not. Oh, keep clicking. There we go. Um, so this is what it says. This is an abbreviated version. See, I have taught you decrees and laws. So I've given you the Ten Commandments as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking. So that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. So he's given the law. And this is what they say about it. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees, laws, as their body of laws that I am setting before you today? They don't, they're not seeing it as irrelevant and obsolete. And why is that? Well, to see God's commands in all their glory, in all their beauty, in all their splendor, just like the Israelites did, we need to step back. This morning, I want us to step back from what we already believe or what we think we believe about the, the God's commands as we look at them in the context of Exodus this morning. So before we read, where are we at? Where are we at in the Exodus story then? Well, this moment, it is not the beginning of the story. Okay, We are not at the beginning of the story, and that is so important. We've got to be aware we're not at the beginning of the story because today is the beginning of their into part of their story. So our, our phrase for the Exodus series is out of and into. So we have, they've gone through the out of bit and now we're coming to the into. So if you've been here, this is what's happened in the story so far. Hopefully this little diagram... Got to love it. Thanks, Linda. This diagram might help. So where the green circle is, that's where we're up to. So this is the story so far. So we've got uh, good old Pharaoh. Doesn't he look mean in that picture? That's a great picture of Pharaoh. So you've got, in verse, uh, you've got Moses being saved out of the water, and he then goes through a wilderness moment and meets God on a mountaintop where he meets the burning bush, and he's commissioned. And that story that Moses delivered and commissioned is also replicated with Israel. So we're at, we've gone through the ten plagues, and uh, we've got, they've been saved from Pharaoh again, but this time through water of the Red Sea, and then they go through their wilderness moment, and we are there where they are given the ten words, the ten commandments, um, and God's covenant, again, on a mountaintop. Where, it, where there's fire, there's, there's real parallels between Moses' story and the Israelite story. So Moses' story from chapters 1 to 4 we see replicated in the rest of Exodus as well. And so both Moses and Exodus, uh, Moses and Exodus, Moses and Israel have been saved from Pharaoh through water, 
Both Moses and Israel have, have gone through wilderness moments. And today, chapter 19 uh, and 20, we join Israel on their mountain. Just like Moses, when he's given a call on his life and commissioned um, that the, the, um, the Israelites also get that. We could, we could talk about this mountain. So they're on Sinai today. This is the same mountain range that Moses would have been on. And we could talk about that for hours, but enjoy reading about that yourself. Um, and so they are entering the same, they're meeting and encountering the same God in the same place at the similar, in similar, the similar time in their story as Moses had. Um, and so we're going to join the story. We're going to read from chapter 19, verse 1, and then we'll, we'll jump. So if you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you pop your hand up, and someone from our Connections team, they'll, they'll bring you over a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, um, and the reason you don't have one is because you don't own one, keep it. It's yours. You can, you can have it. We love God's Word here, so um, you can read that. So we're going to be in chapter 19 of Exodus, uh, verse 1. And then we'll, we'll, we'll jump around and I'll tell you where we're going. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites had left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the, summoned the elders who had gone down the mountain. Um, and command, uh, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And so then we're going to jump down to chapter 20. So Moses is then up and down, up and down, up and down the mountain. About nine or ten times, there's a moment in it where God tells him to go down. And the second he goes down, he's then told to go straight back up. So he's going up and down, poor bloke. Um, and so he must have been pretty tired. And then we get to this point. So he's gone and, uh, and God speaks. And this is where the whole of Israel can hear it. All the people on the base of the mountain can hear God speaking. And he says these words, the famous Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor any nor your male or female servant nor any animal nor foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all of them uh, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. There are two extremes when we come to the Ten Commandments, when we come to the commands of God, what God has for us in our life, what God calls us how to live. We come with two extremes. Number one is legalism. The other one is license. Legalism believes uh, and it focuses entirely on the rules. It's all about the rules. I must keep the rules, otherwise God will not love me as much. I must keep God happy. And so what legalism does, it makes God's commands the following of a dictator rather than obedience to a loving father. And then with license, license is the other extreme. Okay? It's all, it's all, it focuses on battling against the rules. You, you hear from people saying that oh, Christianity is it's not about rules, which is, there, there's truth in that, but there's also, it limits, um, limits God's plan for us. License cheapens the depth of God's grace. So it's like, it doesn't matter if I mess up or, or I have no moral standard because God's going to forgive me anyway. License makes a mockery of, of God's commands in our life and makes them seem obsolete. So they're, they're the two extremes. And I guess what? The Bible doesn't talk about either of them. The Bible isn't for either of them, and, and, which is why I wanted to start at chapter 19. Look at how it starts, because the sequence that we see in chapter 19 is, uh, uh, it sort of frames God's commands. It's the framework for, uh, that models why the Jews at the time, they loved God's law. They loved the Ten Commandments, and, they, and they, they didn't think of them as a great burden. They thought of them as a great blessing. So let's see why that is. So it, look at the sequence here. Um, in chapter 19, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 4 is all about rescue. It's all about rescue. It's a reminder what God has taken them out of. This isn't the start of the story. Remember the Jews of, of, of the... Remember, guys, like remember the 18 chapters that have gone before this? This point, it's a reminder that it's all a work of God. God has done it all. And then you go to verse 5, and he, then he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... God has rescued them, that's, the, that's vital, but then he regulates. They're rescued, but there's a purpose behind it. There's a calling behind it. There's, there's a purpose for their living a godly life. They're rescued, 
uh, he's rescued them in a, uh, to live a new life in a new way. And you could say it this way, rescue then regulates to bless them. There's, there's rescues before rules. And then you've got what happens next. Verse, end of verse 5 into 6. Out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God has rescued them into relationship. There's relationship. God has rescued into obedience to God through relationship. It's, it's, the, it's such an important order, and you see it elsewhere in Scripture as well. Rescue, then rules, then uh, with relationship. The sequence is super helpful because it helps to see why the Israelites loved the Ten Commandments and why they view them so differently to how we probably do today. So the rest of the morning, I'm going to be using this sequence as we go through, and hopefully it will help to clarify why they, they viewed it so differently. Hopefully it will help to see why these, these commandments still matter for us, and hopefully we'll see how they bring life rather than limitation as we, as we go through. So firstly, Israel understood that rescue comes before rules. You know what? I, I think that the Ten Commandments have been too successful in society. I think they've become too successful. Let me explain. Even if you don't know much about church, even if you don't know much about um, the Bible or the Ten Commandments, you may have seen these Ten Commandments in some way. You might have been to a, an old, older church, so not school hall, but like a, a traditional church, and you've seen them on the wall. They're there, written down on the wall, you might have seen it in the films when they come with the big stones and they've got them written on the stones. And it looks a little bit like this, doesn't it? It looks a little bit like this. You shall not. It sounds like Gandalf, isn't it? You shall not. You shall not have. Um, it, that's, that's gone off script, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but when we think of it this way, when we read it this way, we think of very much a tyrannical God. We, we, it comes to mind that it's a demanding, there's contract, you've got to do this otherwise. But that's not, that, that isn't Exodus. That isn't what Exodus says. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 20, the, how it does the Ten Commandments start. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Very, very different. Very Different. The Israelites knew this and they got it. Rescue comes before rules. Yeah, do, you, do you realize that this morning in your own life, we cannot expect non-Christians in our world to live like a Christian. There's got to be rescue. Rescue comes before rules. Without the rescue, it's impossible to see a life changed. To see someone turn to Jesus and, and love him with all their heart and soul and mind. And this is how God deals with all people when we become a Christian. God draws us out. He gives us a new life and then he explains how to live that life in a way that, it, that is for our good. That is for our blessing. And this isn't, and we can instantly think, oh, this is a bit a bit like bribery or coercion. And it's like, no, no, no. 
let's put this in, into a real-life scenario. You've got someone burning in a building, and the firefighter goes up. Yeah? What do they do? Do they go, oh, well, sir, you, uh, you need to just sign the terms and conditions here for your rescue. Um, you need to agree to install the fire alarm, and uh, you need to make sure that you do not smoke on the sofa while you're falling asleep. It's not a good idea. Uh, that's not what they do. They go up, they climb the ladder, they throw them over their shoulder, and they take them back down to the ground where then they can be given oxygen and medical assistance and bring them back to full health and life. And then they say, it's probably not a good idea to fall asleep while smoking, and that fire alarm does not work. That, that's how it, and that's what God's doing. The Israelites, they would have known this for them. The Ten Commandments are a love gift from God to them as a result of their rescue. And they would have seen them as the heart and soul of God's guidance for them. That's why the Ten Commandments, they were memorized. They were loved. They were adored. They were pondered on. They were committed to as a way of life. It was life-giving to them because rescue comes before rules. Why is it that you and I we question repeatedly, we all do it, we question repeatedly what God would say is for our flourishing. Why do we fail to, to live up to the rules? Well, the answer is because we haven't grasped how great our rescue is. We just forget. We forget how great our rescue is. We, we don't realize how awfully sinful that we are. We don't, we don't realize the depth of our need for rescue and how great the rescue was. We don't realize how utterly hopeless we were until we were rescued. We don't. All of us. Every single one of us. We, we miss it. Do not miss that God calls every Christian to start from a place of rescue. The rules are humble obedience to the rescue. So rescue comes before rules and... Uh, Israel also understood that their rescue required obedience. The, the New City Catechism, it's a question and answer um, book, um, and, and it asks every question. And it, one of them is, what does the law of God require? And the answer is very simple. Perfect obedience for our flourishing. Now, we can instantly go, whoa, that's demanding. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's very daunting. Uh, but we have to come back to the context of Exodus 20. Perfect obedience is a response to God's saving initiative. It's in response to that. It's wholehearted devotion to the one who has rescued us. But why? Why is it that obedience is so necessary? If I'm free, why can't I do what I want? Why can't I go and do this and that and the other? Why does God's rescue require obedience? Well, firstly, it's for our flourishing. I don't know if I have to go higher or lower with it. Um, you know, Jesus had an extremely high view of the Ten Commandments. This is Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And the first four commandments that we see in Exodus, Jesus summarized this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's telling them, this is how we can flourish in our relationship with God 
And then the last six commandments, he summarizes with love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you can flourish alongside the rest of humanity. From both Exodus and the words of Jesus, we see that obedience is for our flourishing. It's for our good. Yeah, they are a gift from God for our flourishing. They guide us into flourishing in our relationship with God. You will have with God, not God's God. Um, you will have no other idol. You will make no idol. So flourishing with with Him. They guide us into our flourishing with other human beings. About stealing and 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 being jealous of other people's belongings. They guide us into flourishing as a society, honouring those older than us. Honour your father and mother, not murdering or lying. They warn us and they protect us and they steer us into God's plan for flourishing. Take a day off. Have a Sabbath. Take a day off. It's for your good. It's what they're there for. This flourishing is not for our gain alone, though. Yeah, we... we, we The call of the commands is for our flourishing, but not that entirely. When we humbly obey God's commands, they become missional. They become contagious to those around us. We show others what this is what God is like. This is the beauty and the depth of what God is like. We show what genuine human flourishing looks like, and it becomes attractive to people. It becomes attractive to those around we see that. I think we're seeing that in our, in our society now. I think in society at the moment, there is just, we don't, we don't know what truth is. We're post-truth culture is what it's called, a post-truth. There's no such thing as, as truth. And people are like, well, what, what, what do I hang on then? What do I, what do I hold on to? And it's, and it's becoming more and more broken. And that's where Christ and his church can display, no, no, so much better than that. We, are, we were rescued for obedience, for flourishing, but, as, but alongside that and as a result of that, it's missional. Oh, for goodness sake. Thanks, Linda. Um, so let's, let's ground that in an idea. Okay, Let's ground that in, in, in one of these commands in particular. So um, we, were, we were rescued for obedience uh, that would be for our flourishing, but also for, for mission. So verse 7, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. If you have been a Christian for a while, what, what do you, when you were growing up, if you were a Christian as a child, what was the message behind this command? It was very much, you can't say, oh my God, in a, as a swear word. That's, that's sort of where it would be and, and, and be rooted in. However, if, if we were to dig deeper, if we were to look deeper, we could see that a helpful translation would be not take his name, but bear his name. And that would be that the Hebrew points to that phrasing a lot more, bear his name. So it would be, do not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. It's different, so different to using a Oh, it's, it's, don't say that because that's a swear word. No, no, that's not what the Israelites would have heard. I want you to see that obedience to God's commands are for our flourishing, but it's missional because it's about proper representation of Yahweh, of God, by, by his people to the rest of the world. Because look, look what happens. So in, in Ezekiel 36, verse 16 to 27, Israel have 
fallen flat. Like they've, they've, they've not done that. They've not been very good at bearing the name, being representatives of God. And so it says this in Ezekiel, and wherever they went, that's Israel, among the nations, they didn't bear the name, they profaned his holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they have to leave his land. And this is God, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. I want you to see it is because God's name is at stake. That's how we live as that's why the way we live as Christians matters. It's it's because we bear God's name that our rescue requires obedience. It's not just about a swear word. It's that but so much more. It's greater than that. If you've been a Christian for decades or days, like you bear God's name. Christian means little Christ. We are little Christs wherever we go. Every time a Christian falls into sin and lives an ungodly life, they're doing just like they did in Ezekiel. They're dragging God's name through the mud. And that's what we do. Whenever we're gossiping in a staff room, we're modeling a God who is dishonest rather than a God of truth. When we are holding on to unforgiveness, we're modeling a God who is unforgiving than a God of forgiveness. When we lose our patience with a colleague, with a, a friend, with a family member, with a child, with, with whoever it is, we are showing and modeling a God who is quick to anger and slow to love rather than a God abounding in such grace and kindness and compassion and beauty and care and patience. Our rescue requires obedience to God's commands because it has missional consequences. It is so easy to beat yourself up and then think we can easily go to those two extremes again. Okay, then I need to get better. I need to try harder and I just need to jump onto the legalism bandwagon. Remember, the Bible says nothing of that. Oh, then I've got to jump onto the license bandwagon. I'm like, what's the point? What's the point? I'm never going to meet that standard anyway. I can't, I can't even get there. So God will feel forgive me. It's fine. No, the Bible doesn't talk about that either. I want to make space at the end to, to pray and encourage us. If we're struggling to live missionally, if we're struggling just to feel like I'm flourishing in, in my walk with God, I want to pray for you later. Donald Gray Barnhouse says, The commands of God are like a mirror. Now, the purpose of a mirror is to reveal to you that your face is dirty, but the purpose of a mirror is not to wash your face. When you look in a mirror and you find your face is dirty, you don't reach for the mirror and take it off the wall in an attempt to rub it on your face as a cleansing agent. The purpose of the mirror is to drive you to the water. My prayer this morning is that you get driven to the water. I pray that, these, that you let these commands, that you let them guide you, that you let them warn you, that you let them protect you, that you let them steer you, but always to the water. So far we've seen rescue comes before rules, and our rescue leads to obedience for our flourishing and for mission 
But all of this points in the direction of the water. It points in the direction of the water because rescue and rules result from relationship. Yes, God has rescued the people and he's brought them to himself. He has, he has told them the requirements of this is, this is how to live in a way that's so going to flourish. You're going to flourish and because you're flourishing, people will see that and they'll go, wow, what a great people you are. What? And, and they'll, they'll get caught up in the mission, but it's all for the end goal of relationship with him. That was, that was the purpose in Genesis 1, not even Exodus. The rescue and the rules are not obsolete, but they are supposed to point our gaze in the direction of our need for a relationship with God. If you were to carry on reading Exodus and then go into Leviticus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy, you, you would notice that if we were to focus on rescue and rules only, something is incomplete. Look again at chapter 19, 5 to 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you... Well, what if I don't? <laughs> what if I don't obey? <laughs> if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations... You'll be my treasured possession. It's a singular, singular nation. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Singular. There is still something incomplete. It's incomplete because there's a strong possibility, as I said, we may not fully obey all the time. Actually, there's a very high likelihood (laughs) There's the possibility that life may not be rosy. There's only uh, one group of people who can enjoy being God's treasured possession. And this incompleteness, it hovers, just hovers over the rest of Moses' story. It hovers over the rest of the Old Testament too. There is something limiting until we meet Jesus. Until we get to Christ. Jesus came to do what we could not do. Jesus uh, fulfilled the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole thing. He fulfilled it completely and utterly, perfectly. He obeyed God's commands. And by paying the penalty of death, that me and you, the lawbreakers, that's who we are. We are the lawbreakers. What we owe, he paid our penalty on the cross. There is now a new promise because of the cross, because of Christ. There is a new promise. There is a new call. And hear this in 1 and 2, Peter. I want you to, I want you to notice the exodusness, if that's even a word, uh, in what he says. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen nation. No, no, people. There's plural. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may not just not just obey but declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into wonderful life life light once you were not a people but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy even if you mess up again and again there is new mercy every morning why because of Jesus because he takes it on the cross. Peter is using Exodus language on purpose. He's taking Exodus 19 and 20, and he is taking it up a level. 
He's taking it higher and he's showing how Christ, he brings the completeness, how Christ brings it to fulfillment, how he shows what, what was incomplete was made complete. Jesus didn't come to save us from the law. He didn't save us from the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled them. There's a big difference. It's all an act still of his rescue. It's still obedience, but this time there is worship and there is joy in obedience. It's no, it's no longer limited to one nation, but it's multinational, it's multiracial, it's multilingual. There's a chosen people, plural. Obedience and praise come because we live heart and soul, totally belong heart and soul to Christ and Christ alone. When we started, I asked you to think about the Ten Commandments, what you, what you thought about them, what came to mind. And it might have been irrelevant, outdated, impossible, moral high ground, moral failings. It might have been rules. However, once we see Jesus come into the picture of the Ten Commandments, we see a God in their original technicolor, our rescuer. We see him in human form. We see the rescuer in human form who brings us into a relationship with him and with other people. And why? Because it's for our our flourishing and our best. We see the rules fulfilled in Jesus. We don't see obedience as a chore, but as worship to the one who obeyed them fully on our behalf, even when we consistently fall short. And we see who we have relationship with in human form when we look at Jesus. We see that a multinational people relating to each other around the table, which we're going to do in a minute, in remembrance of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Unlike the Israelites, they, they gathered. Did you notice where they were? The Israelites were around the base of the mountain. They couldn't, they couldn't go up the mountain. It was Moses and his and his crew, who would go up. In chapter 24, there's this moment where they go up and they have a meal. And again, it's limited. It limits 70 people. But yet now, they, and they had the tablets. They, they had the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them. That's what they had. Yet we have it written, not on stone, but on our hearts. And we don't have a tablet, we have a table. We, we go up the mountain because we get to have a relationship with him. We get to have it around the communion table with Christ. We can enjoy Christ. What better way to remember our rescuer who fulfills the rules even when we don't by enjoying our relationship with him with billions of others around the world right now who are going to be taking communion. 